Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 40 today. A little bit ambitious. We're going to actually deal with two chapters. Um, But it's all one story. And as you turn to Genesis 40, um, I want you to think about this as a by way of preparing us for the word. The world, every day, is trying to convince you of how powerful it is. The world is trying to convince you of how wise it is. The world laughs at the wisdom And the power of God. And if you are going to have an enduring faith that does not cower in the face of the unbelieving forces that surround you, you will have to be grounded in the truth of God's mighty power and wisdom. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God calls his people to work hard in building his kingdom. God calls his people to strive every day to put to death the sins of their own hearts. God calls his people to have courage in dark days and to continue sacrificially loving those outside of the church, those inside the church, without really concern of the cost to ourselves. But if you are going to do any of these things, you have to have a faith that believes that the Lord is more powerful and more wise than anything you might face in this world. Wisdom and power belong to God alone. It is the wisdom and the power of God alone that will raise Joseph from the depths To the heights. In the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph receives more attention than that of Abraham. Think about that. And yet, when we come to the New Testament, there is only one verse that uses Joseph as an example for us to emulate. Think about that. Does that not seem strange to you? And what aspect of Joseph's life does this New Testament verse laud for our emulation? We'll look at it more specifically later. But it is the fact that Joseph wanted his bones to be carried back to Canaan. Of all the great moments in Joseph's life, Is this the one you would have picked? 
But you see, the story of Joseph is not primarily about Joseph. It is a story designed to teach us the greatness of God's wisdom and power. Now, we last left Joseph imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. And he had plenty of time sitting in that prison to wonder why his God would leave him in such a lowly place. So we'll pick up and we'll start reading a section. I'll make some comments and we'll move through these chapters. Chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. You see, according to God's great wisdom and according to God's great power, he is ordaining a meeting between Joseph and Pharaoh. What is interesting is that neither Joseph nor Pharaoh is aware of God's plan. And this makes it all the more amazing when it comes to pass. Two high-ranking servants of Pharaoh are cast into the same prison as Joseph for some crime that we're not exactly sure of, but we can, we can make a guess. The cupbearer was a trusted servant of the Pharaoh, but his primary job was to taste the drink of, that the Pharaoh would drink to thwart off any assassination attempt. The baker would have had a similar responsibility, only with the food itself. So it's likely that some sort of assassination plot was discovered, and yet it was unclear if the baker or the cupbearer had a part in that. So until the guilt could be determined, they throw them both in prison. They're not only placed in the same prison as Joseph, Joseph is assigned to them. God has miraculously brought these three people together. You see, Joseph could look at his situation as the victim of injustice. But more importantly, Joseph is exactly where God wants him. The cupbearer and the baker are placed in his care, and that is not by accident. It occurs only by the wisdom and power of God's hand. Verses 5 through 8, In one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now you have to see the, the details of this story and how incredible they are. The baker and the cupbearer have dreams. And the dreams are not just a creative uh, subplot in the, the grander plot. 
They're not just random uh, things that God uses. God gives these men their dreams at the precise time and place necessary to fulfill his wonderful plan for his people. In a sense, God is using the strengths and the playbook of the other team against them. You see, Egyptians prided themselves in both having dreams and being able to interpret them. Dreams were the means by which the gods communicated the future. And both of these men believed that their dreams were foretelling their own destiny. And they were fearful that that this destiny might not be good. Now, if they had had these dreams while they were in good standing with the Pharaoh, they could have had any number of uh, wise men who would have come and they would have had them to interpret the the dreams for them. But instead, they're in prison. With no one, they think, who could possibly help them in their situation. Now, they explain the dilemma to Joseph just because he's being kind to them. He said, what's going on? You look downcast today. And they tell him what's going on, but not with any expectation that Joseph can do anything about it. After all, he's in the prison with them as well. And Joseph surprises them. He says, oh, oh, it's an interpretation of a dream. Do not dreams and their interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. And this is not a passing uh, uh, statement like it just, oh, by the way. It is his theological statement. It is Joseph's God, not the gods of the Egyptians, who controls the world in which we live. It is not necessary to have some professional, skilled Egyptian wise man to interpret the dream. A lowly Hebrew can do just fine when God gives the interpretation. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. This idea of lifting up is very important. Throughout This is a theme throughout the whole thing. Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Oh, and by the way, when you get there, remember me. When it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph interprets this dream like it's the easiest thing in the world. There's no hesitation. He's absolutely confident that the, that the interpretation is correct. Good news, cupbearer, in three days you'll be restored. And Joseph asks one favor. When you are reinstated, please remember me. Show me this kindness. I'm in here, I'm an innocent man. You see... Joseph's goal 
at this moment is to be freed from prison. But what was God's goal? You see, getting Joseph out of prison is not a problem for God. Joseph's in, or God's intent for Joseph is to bring him face to face with the Pharaoh. And God's intent is to raise Joseph up to second in position of all Egypt. Can we say that God's goal is just a little higher than Joseph's expectation? And I can tell you right now, God's goal for you is far higher than your expectations. When Joseph asks to be shown kindness, he is using the same term that is used throughout Scripture to describe God's covenant love. That word chesed in the Hebrew. God's steadfast love. That's what he's saying. He's saying, please, cupbearer, show me that kind of faithful covenant love. That's what I need from you. The cupbearer is going to fail miserably. But is Joseph's destiny dependent on the hesed of the cupbearer? Or is his destiny dependent on the hesed of his God? Verses 16 to 19. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket in my head, on my head. And Joseph answered, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. The birds will eat the flesh from you. Now, you have to understand it was typical. God would often give dreams in pairs in this culture. So when you had one dream, you would think of the next dream given with it to have the same basic meaning. You think back to Joseph's earlier time. He was given a dream that his brothers would bow down to him. Then he was given another dream that even mom and dad and his brothers would bow down to him. Both of those dreams were a consistent message. And so the cupbearer, too, there's these two dreams. They were given at the same time. There's an expectation that they would also be favorable messages. Joseph says, yeah, your head will be lift up to have it cut off. Or it might be, you know, metaphorical language that you're going you're gonna to lose your head. You're going to die. And they usually say that he was probably impaled on a stake or something gruesome. So, why do you think God gave these dreams to these men? Well, because in Egypt, the ability to interpret dreams was one of the most coveted skills that you could have. Joseph does not just get lucky. In order to interpret both dreams correctly, he would have to actually go against the the, the normal idea that the dreams would have the same meaning. He just he gets it right both times. Showing that he has absolute skill to do this. Well, it's not really Joseph, is it? It's God. We'll see that in a moment. 20 through 23, on the third day, 
which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all the, his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup of, in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Simple, the dreams are fulfilled exactly the way Joseph said. The cupbearer fails to mention Joseph to Pharaoh. He is not showing Joseph has said. People may fail to remember you, but God will never forget you. In fact, Yahweh will cause Joseph to be remembered at the exactly right time. Chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, that's a long time to be sitting in jail, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in, in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. Aren't you glad that this is not video, that it's just a, you know... And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, again, the pairing of the dreams. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. He sent and called for all the magicians and all of its wise men, Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. I don't know about you, but after two years, I would be a little bit doubting and despairing if I were Joseph. He's probably thinking there's no hope of the cupbearer ever remembering me now. He's probably wondering why those dreams were even given. Why bring the dreams to these guys and let me interpret them if all I'm going to do is just sit here in prison? He's probably even thinking, why did you give me those dreams back when I was younger and, and that my family would bow down to me? He's wondering, God, what is happening in this situation? And it's very important that he was given no visitation from God at this point. Often we say, oh, Lord, come and help me in my time of need, and if I have your presence with me, then I will be fine. Well, we know that the Lord is with Joseph, but Joseph probably does not have a sense of that presence at this time. But God is not forgetting Joseph. He's waiting for the perfect timing. Had the cupbearer immediately remembered Joseph, probably Pharaoh would have been, yeah, whatever, good, Joseph. We'll talk to him later if we need him. I don't have any need for guy can interpret my dreams because I've got other guys that can interpret my dreams. But God is up there moving the pieces of the chessboard exactly where he wants them. At the right time, he will nudge the cupbearer to recall what he has forgotten. And I find it very interesting, Pharaoh's dreams, they're pretty straightforward. You can pretty much go, oh, something bad's going to happen. Something good, followed by something very bad. The, the good years or the good time will be not as good as the, the bad times. They're going to swallow up the good times. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple that you would think that you 
wouldn't have a hard time interpreting it if you were a wise man. But I think there's something more going on. I think all these magicians and wise men knew that it was a bad dream. And I think nobody wants to tell the king bad news. Better to just say, oh, I don't think we can interpret that. Whatever the reason, it's not, not that important. The cupbearer, that does have Joseph come to mind, and, and it, it, it does make sense to think the cupbearer going, oh yeah, let's let Joseph tell the dream, because if the king doesn't like it, he's expendable. Verses 8 through 13, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about... I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. You see how it's, it's the, the whole scenario is, is be, being pitted. All of the magicians and wise men of Egypt could not do it, but here it is for you, Mr. Joseph, you lowly slave. Which one is going to be more wise? Which one is going to be more powerful? I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Joseph says, it is not me. Isn't that awesome? Right at the beginning, hey, whoa, 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 I'm, it's not my wisdom. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That's an interesting statement as well. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Niles. You know, you're thinking, why do we need to tell this story again? What's well, slowing us down to think about the momentous occasion that is happening right now. So he retells the dream again. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as, the very, as at the very beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing up on one stalk, full and good, Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. How does Joseph know that he will give a favorable answer to the Pharaoh even before he hears the dream? He may have just been saying, I have the correct interpretation, but I think it's probably Joseph knows that this is going to end well. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. 
The seven lean and the ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Notice that no, no Egyptian gods, it's just my God has shown that this is going to happen. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Basically, Joseph said, hey man, God's warning you. He's giving you an advance warning of this famine so that you can prepare for it. And here's the deal. This is where you get the the wisdom and the power of God over the wisdom and the power of the Egyptians. If someone has enough wisdom to learn from this bit of knowledge, we can turn it into something good. And this is, I think, one of the most amazing parts of the story, because Joseph doesn't just interpret the dream and say, hey, go figure it out. He immediately turns into, here's your solution. Beginning in verse 33. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land. Take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities. And let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine." You see, Joseph does what no other counselor could do. I think they probably could have, could have boded some bad news to the Pharaoh, but they had no idea what to do with it. And Joseph puts together a solution to the problem. Now, we'll explore the specifics of Joseph's plan because it actually is, has some kind of shifty things as you go along uh, in terms of uh, governments taking advantage of crises. So uh, we'll explore that later as time goes on in the story. But now it's not that that matters. All it means is that Joseph has the ability given to him by God to turn a crisis into gain. God's wisdom is on display through Joseph. God's wisdom is greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. That's the point. It's God's power and wisdom that can raise us from the lowest depths to the greatest heights. This is the universal truth. It doesn't matter how low you are. It doesn't matter what situation you're in, how terrible your life situation is. God is the God who can take you from the depths and raise you to the heights. He can do this in the land of Egypt, seven years of bad famine. He can make it a boon to actually benefit Egypt. He can do it in Joseph's life, even though he's been hated by his brothers. He's been forgotten by his fellow prisoners. He is down in the depths of prison. God can raise him up to the heights. He can do this whenever he wants. This is the pattern. 
that God does. This is what he wants you to know from the Joseph story. You can forget Joseph one day, but you cannot, must not forget that God can take whatever situation you're in, no matter how low it is, and he can raise you up to the heights. That's the point of the story. It's not by accident that our Lord Jesus Christ follows the same trajectory. He was forgotten by men. He was, he was ridiculed. He was mocked. If he, he saved others. Let him save himself. Was he forgotten by God? Did God take Jesus from the depth of the grave and lift him up to the highest heights in heaven? This is what God does. Your situation pretty bad caused by your own sin, caused by the sins of others, it doesn't matter. Trust in your Lord because he is wise and powerful. This is what he does. There is no direct confrontation between Joseph and the magicians. That actually comes later during the time of Moses when he stands off with the magicians of Egypt. But the lesson's the same. What they can't do, God does with ease. And Pharaoh acknowledges that the Spirit of God must live in Joseph. Look at verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and so wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. This is amazing. Pharaoh didn't even know Joseph existed hours before. And now he is elevating Joseph above every other wise man in all of his kingdom. You see, Joseph is a model for you. But it is not a model of a self-made hero. All those action movies we watch where, you know, the, the, the main character is able to rise over every problem. That is not the story of Joseph. It was not the strength of Joseph that lifted him out of his bleak situation. If that were the case, then you could only find hope from Joseph if you were somehow as smart and as strong as Joseph. But what if you're not? Joseph does not rise by means of his own wisdom. He rises by the wisdom and power of God. Who's the hero of the story? God. Listen to what we will be saying when we are surrounding the throne room of heaven. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. No praise there of Joseph. No praise there of Mike. It is the praise of God because he has all wisdom and power. 
verses 41 and through 45. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath-Paneah, and gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. I don't know about you, but if this happened to me, I'd have gotten pretty well caught up in it. You know, Pharaoh's not just like putting on a show, and Joseph's just kind of like a puppet. No, he really is giving him authority. And that kind of stuff goes to your head. You read that list and there's a sense of awe. I mean, the, I didn't even go to try to think of the countless, but there's, there, there's so many rags to riches story throughout the history. And I'm not sure any of them are as great as this one. To be a prisoner, to second in command of the highest and most powerful kingdom in all the earth. It is this that provides the final lesson for us. And it is from the perspective of the book of Hebrews that, that the author of Hebrews is most impressed with Joseph. Hebrews 11.22 By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. There it is. That's the only New Testament reference to Joseph. What do bones have to do with anything? Well, it is, the, it is through his bones that Joseph clearly demonstrates that it is not the treasures of Egypt, not the glories of Egypt, but the promises of God that matter to him. Joseph is given a wife. She is the uh, daughter of one of the high priests. It would have been very easy for Joseph to just become sucked in to Egyptian religion. He gives his kids Hebrew names. 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of the famine came, the two sons were born to Joseph. Asenoth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. That's going to be important in a moment. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And naming his first son Manasseh, Joseph demonstrates that he is no longer bitter towards his father's house. Very important. If you remember the overall story of Joseph, one of the key themes is that God is working to bring love and fellowship among the brothers. 
They originally hated each other. And what God is doing here is he is removing from Joseph any bitterness towards his brothers. We are ready for reconciliation to occur. The naming of his second son, Ephraim, Joseph is recognizing that true fruitfulness has flown from the hand of God. Even though others have been pitted against him, it does not matter because God is more powerful and can bring about the fruitfulness that his heart yearns for. Joseph does not give credit to Egypt or their gods. He maintains that it is the God of his fathers who has done this. 53 to 57, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. And as Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to, the Egypt, to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. We're still in the middle of this saga. We haven't got to the end yet, but we can give three lessons for you to take away today. The first is simple. I've said it many times. Wisdom and power belong to God alone. Remember that. Nothing of the world's wisdom, nothing of the powers that could stand against you mean anything to your covenant Lord. Secondly, Like Joseph, we are to not be enamored with the glories of this life. It's pretty hard. The world is like one big scam trying to tell you how wonderful it is. Keep your heart set on the eternal glories that will be ours through the covenant promises. And thirdly, God's wisdom and power are working to raise you from the depths to the heights. And this is where Christ comes into the picture. You here today, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are on a trajectory to the highest heights. Who were you before Christ took hold of you? Some of you may have had some influence or power in the world's eyes, but not many. Most of you are ragtag. Nobody's in the eyes of the world. You were slaves of sin. How high has Christ lifted you up? What is your position in the eternal kingdom? Are you a cupbearer? Are you a baker? Who are you exactly? Well, the Bible tells you very clearly that you are seated next to the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of the universe. Makes Joseph's little rule appear pretty small. Joseph knows this. 
If he didn't know it, he would have been subsumed into Egypt. Joseph's greatest act of faith is that with even with all of the things around him that could have enamored him, he kept his eyes fixed on the eternal prize. Those promises of being at the right hand of the throne of the God of glory are yours only because Jesus Christ suffered and bled for you. And when you right now experience the being in the low positions in this life, remember that Jesus Christ was right there with you. You're on the same trajectory as your Lord and Savior. Ephesians 2, 4-7, we'll close with this. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You are living the greatest rags to riches story that was ever lived. You're just not there on the heights yet. I mean, you are in position because you're with Christ, you're united to him. But remember where he is taking you. That alone will give us the courage, the love, the faithfulness, the, the, the um, servant heart that we need to have in these dark days. Remember that your Lord has all wisdom and power and glory, and they are yours with him in Christ Jesus. Amen.